Hey everyone, it's Cam Hurt, host of the Best Show Ever podcast, and we have got a second season coming out very soon that I am very excited about. We've got some very cool special guests, including musical acts that we all love, like Karina Reichman, Daniel Donato, Jake Brownstein from Eggy, Rick and Peter from Goose, and many more. Tune in for new episodes dropping on Osiris Media March 5th on the Best Show Ever podcast. Osiris. Welcome to Wheels Off, a show about the messy reality of the creative life. I'm Rhett Miller. Brandon Decker lives in Sedona, Arizona, and records under the moniker Decker with a lowercase d. He joins us from his home for this conversation. He is about to release his, what, eighth album? I should know this. He's been releasing records for years, and he's great. They're uh, out on Royal Potato, which is a, a label known for its you know, excellent taste. His music is very cool, hard to describe, which is for me, the best kind of music. His new record is called Ouroboros. O-U-R... I'm spelling a lot of words for you, aren't I? O-U-R-O-B-O-R-O-S. Decker. With a lowercase d, Ouroboros. Um, he and I have met in real life before in Arizona this year, and I got a kick out of him. He's... You know, it's funny how... Sometimes I get hung up thinking how similar we all are, and sometimes I think how different we all are. In the course of one conversation with Brandon Decker, I experienced both of those phenomena. It's interesting to hear his perspective, because in so many ways, the Venn diagram uh, overlaps with my own. And in so many ways, you know, we're just, we're different. It's, it's great. I'm really grateful that he took the time to share his wisdom with me for your listening pleasure. Please welcome to Wheels Off, Brandon Decker. Welcome to Wheels Off, Brandon Decker. Thank you so much for joining me. How are you? I am doing good this morning, Rhett, and um, thank you so much for having me. So great. Um, for the edification of our listeners, from where are you logging in? I'm uh, in my kitchen in Sedona, Arizona. Oh my God, Sedona, such a magical place. And how long have you lived there? Mostly about 16 years. And um, I say that there's some nuance to it. Uh, but I moved to Flagstaff, which you know is very nearby 20 years ago. And then after I finished college up there, I ended up down here with a few, um, you know, zigzags. Of course, of course. It's a pretty magical place, though. I could see why you'd wind up there. It's totally magical. It changed my life, honestly. Um, I was, you know, I grew up in St. Louis, so I was, I was a city type person, not too into nature. It's more into, you know, bars and <laughs> yeah. mischief. Um, <laughs> so it changed my life being here, and um, you know, I would say. I think to the detriment in ways of my career as such, but um, 
you know, I don't know that I'd change it. Yeah. Uh, because maybe you chose Sedona over icy ambition, something like that. I, be, yeah. City life, you know, I mean, in a, I was talking to someone about this the other day, just kind of the notion when, when I started going with whatever my career is, I was like, you know, I'm going to be touring all the time. It doesn't matter where I live because I'm going to be on the road. And I was indeed on the road a lot, but I, I think it might've been helpful to have been in one of the hub cities, you know, of LA, Portland, Austin, yeah, New York, Nashville, something like that. Um, but I, you know, just wasn't, wasn't what destiny held. Boy, yeah, I made a similar choice and sometimes I wonder if I should regret it, but I like, I, I feel like I don't regret it. If that makes sense. It seems like you're right. in the same boat. Like you, you love being there. I love being here. Although after being in Maui last week, <laughs> I, uh, I, I, I've been joking. Maui's the only place that makes you, you be like, well, Sedona's okay. Grass is literally greener. <laughs> Quite green. Where uh, was your similar choice? Up up there in upstate? Yeah, and I, and I'm not far from New York City. So it's it's not apples and oranges because I'm 90 minutes from Manhattan, but we moved from LA, you know, where we were pretty entrenched. And and you staying in LA would have been a really smart choice career-wise. But I sure. you know, I've loved raising kids in, in the country. Right. Yeah. You know, I think that's a big thing for me as my son. And, you know, I, I remember being in New York after being a parent and watching like, you know, the nannies taking the kids on the subway to school and yeah. the school's right in the middle of the, you know, madness and thinking, oh, my God, I can't even imagine. Yeah, we had the same thing. We go to New York City now and we look at the people dealing with little kids and we're like, oh, my God, the logistics of kids at all are hard. But in Manhattan, forget about it. Forget sure. about it. So, um, Brandon, what creative project are you working on right now and how does it light you up? Well, I've got a few. As as you know, the biggest one is is my recent album, uh, Euroboros, uh, which I um recorded in the summer of 2022 and mixed with your friend sam cohen yes and um it's coming out here june 9th and it was um you know elaborate i, I don't want to go on and on but um it, it was quite i think an ambitious and unique project for our times yeah, no, please elaborate. That's that's what we're here for. What, what what do you think makes it ambitious? How did it feel ambitious? So kind of the quickest backstory is I, I had had this just agonizing year, um, had a rough parting with a with a partner. Um, I mean, about as bad as it gets in a in a breakup and, and one that I had been optimistic, you know, with in my middle age that I thought maybe was, you know, the one, uh, but in that same, um, time frame, my dad got diagnosed with cancer, hmm. um, made the decision to move in and kind of watch this rapid disintegration. You know, I remember when he had the diagnosis and he, you know, that generation I'm 43, hmm. 
so you think of the parents' generation. I mean, they're a lot more stoic and kind of play the cards close than we are. But I remember this kind of grim diagnosis he presented and and didn't discuss much and 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 just looking at him being like, I can't imagine this being that bad. And then you know watching that yeah. deteriorate over you know nine months and um, you know at the same time I was I was going to some heavy therapy on trauma mm-hmm. and realizing that a lot of that was tied in with my father mm-hmm. and kind of being in this position of like accessing these old, like, in, you know, just like cellular realities, but also holding this deep compassion for someone watching, you know, that process. And in that whole subtext is where I wrote this album. And so I guess where the creative process starts there was, you know, I had this batch of 10 songs and the first thing was I had this notion. I don't want to go sit in studio for weeks and, and overdubs and, and, you know, I I want to record this album definitively in two days. And then where that got, more tricky was I knew I, that the songs had strings and choir and horns. I mean, it was, you know, like a, a small orchestra of sorts. Um, so we've got, okay, we're going to go record two days, no overdubs with a 16 piece band. Huh. Um, so kind of piecing that together, made this decision to record it out at this studio East West in Hollywood, the, you know, legendary place. Mm-hmm. Some people call it the Abbey Road of the U.S. You, you know, I, I've been saying, you know, everyone from Frank Sinatra to Kendrick Lamar have made <laughs> records there. You know, and, and so at that point, it, relatively an independent artist. You know, I mean, I have some, you know, I have a label and some partners, but I mean, I'm doing most of the fun. I mean, looking at this idea that like literally was like, I mean, like downloaded like Moses or something, like you're going out into the desert. Um, I knew it was going to be costy yeah. and kind of this idea of just trust and, and, and go, go do this. So the, the space I held, I remember the day I finished recording the, the day after we were, you know, we'd gone out to LA and rented these Airbnbs for this ensemble. And it, like, I remember the next morning I was out doing my morning yoga under this orange tree. It was like perfect LA. I mean, it was a summer day, but it was like beautiful. And there was like this light storm blowing through and I was like mildly getting rained on and like just like this moment of surrender where I literally felt the space I held getting through the processes that led up to the album, the space I held like it was like pushing a rock up a mountain for a year and a half to get out there. And it was, you know, it was done at least that part and just broke down into tears. You know, I was like, I can't believe I held this space to, to do this. Wow. It's, I feel like in my life, there have been people that say like, you know, you don't have to do this, right? Because this thing we do is, <laughs> is, is hard. But I think what you're, what you might say to that, what I would say to that is, well, yeah, but well, I do actually have to do this. 
right? Like you, you pushed sure. through you. It seemed like you had um, uh, some sort of engine inside of you that wasn't necessarily under your control during all of this. You know, it's funny because I've, I've released eight albums in I don't know, 11 years or something like that. And such as to say, like, that seems like a lot of content. But to me, I have these friends who like write six songs a day, you know, I mean, like they just live in this like, you know, like I'm always creating. And for me, I tend to the answer. It's like I, I answer the muse when it comes with its idea. And then I might not create much music for a year. Um, so, yeah, I, when I got this download of this is what I was going to do with the record, I just, you know, I followed it like, you know, like a dog following a squirrel. <laughs> it does seem like you fill up your agenda with a lot of hustle, like a lot of stuff that you do in music festivals, the this line of scent, scents that you have. Right. Did you give the bottle to Erica? I did. And she loves it. That's great. Yeah. So talk about that a little bit, because I think a lot of musicians are dealing with this reality right now of having to figure out a hustle in addition to what we do. A lot of artists in general, I feel bad for the TV writers. We're all trying to hustle on the side to, you know, to make rent. Yeah. So, you know, I had, um, every year I had found as a father that, you know, so I used to maybe tour the country two to three times a year, just grinding. Um, and every year I would just find, you know, I want to pull back. I want to be home more. And every year, you know, less and less dates on the road, but still feeling this obligation to be on the road. Um, and I like components of it. I'm sure you would relate with that. I mean, like, I love performing. I love performing nightly and what happens musically. Um, but a lot of the accoutrements of that life are, are exhausting. Yeah. And so every year I'm pulling back and then it was like when COVID happened, there was this almost relief. I know a lot of people were like, what am I going to do? You know, I'd say pretty quickly, I was like, I'm going to be home and I have no other option. And I like this, you know, but the reality of like, okay, what am I going to do now? Was there financially um, if, if we're not performing and um i had um i had come across this product called agua de florida in an ayahuasca ceremony and this is like this ancient perfume 100 year old ancient probably not very old perfume that they use in these ceremonies and i kind of had this notion i was going to make a cleaner sedona version cuz th this agua de florida kind of smells like grandpa's aftershave and I was like, I'm going to make a clean version of this and I'm going to sell it to, you know, some shamanic workers I know. So I started teaching myself how to make perfume, reading a lot. And it actually ended up be pretty quickly. I realized I've got a much bigger market with tourists in Sedona than I do with shamanic workers, <laughs> of which I know about three. <laughs> and... Um, I, I got one of those loans that they were doing for, for my music business and spent like $8,000 on essential oils and scales and beakers and flasks. 
<laughs> just like, I mean, I didn't even know what I was doing. And it was kind of one of these things of, um, I'm going to figure it out. Yeah. And, um, you know, I just was like, it, it was an interesting period because, you know, that COVID summer 2020, I would like go hike or kayak all day. And then I would come home and like, you know, put on some music and just work on this formula. And, um, you know, when it, when it got done, I was running out of money. The, the loan was running out and it was time to just launch, you know, whatever it was. And, um, I didn't know if it was good or not. And, um, you know, lo and behold, you know, that first year I sold like $80,000 worth of it and, wow, you know, stores nationwide. And it's still just me. I, I, yesterday I spent my whole day making and bottling perfume. Dude, that's so cool. I love it. It's funny. It's funny. You know, I figured out how to do things to, to see projects into birth where I found maybe limitation is taking them to another level, you know? Um, and I'm not sure what to make of that. That's probably more of a talk with a therapist or something <laughs> than <laughs> for our purposes. Or like a CFO or something like that. I could definitely use a better business mind in <laughs> everything I do. I, I lead with the heart. Can't we all? Wouldn't we? All? Yeah. I wonder. So when you when you were starting out, I don't imagine you thought you'd wind up being a um, a, a perf perfumier or whatever. But I, I do. You know, I think you identify primarily as a musician. When you were a kid, do you remember a moment where you knew music was going to be your life? Was there an epiphany moment? Do you remember identifying for the first time as a, a musician, an artist? You know, I was a late bloomer with music. It, I always loved it. You know, my mom was a you know child of the '60s, and you know, so I grew up. I remember loving the Doors. I mean, just you know, the standard classic rock. The Doors were my my pivotal uh, band from that period, um, and I loved singing. I remember as a kid, I loved singing harmonies. Um, always listening to music. But for me, music was a college thing. I remember, um, I remember one time this roommate I had came home with a couple girls and played a Dave Matthews song, and, and they were just like, "Ah, oh, you know." Yeah. And I was like, "I gotta learn how to play some songs on a guitar." And that was kind of the birth, you know. And I and I I remember. So I instantly taught myself how to sing while I played, you know, and I remember loving singing and playing guitars. And I would say in terms of fun, that was really when my music endeavors were the funnest, you know, those early days of just like, I can do this, I can sing and play, you know. Um, then when I finished college, that was kind of so like I'm like 25 at that point, I remember I took like my first corporate job out of college and I just remember being like, no, I want to, I want to put a band together and make a record and go tour. 
And, and so that shift happened in my mid twenties. I'm sure you were much younger. Yeah. Weren't you like in your teens when? Yeah, I, I started young. I was like, uh, 16 first gig and i was i saw is that the picture you posted recently probably yeah there's a good one i was a teenage folky but um but that's so funny that so you did finish college though you had a full degree and everything i have i have a a lot of debt oh god a degree in philosophy <sighs> wow um do you is it something that you ever agonize over like ah oh, man i really should have stayed in the corporate world i mean i can't no. really i can't imagine you in the corporate world no i don't think i'm long-term employable <laughs> you know i took we moved up to california the uh, bay area for one year 2018 and it was when i released my last album and i i had it was terrible planning i basically moved to the bay area when a u.s tour ended oh. and you know so i come home i'm exhausted i'm broke um and i just moved to probably the most expensive place in the continental u.s yeah and uh you know so I quickly i got a job uh first job in years for a restaurant group doing their social media and did not like it. It uh, was really uninspired. Um, you know, it was funny. They'd, they'd like, um, they'd show me the social media of like really interesting influencers. And they'd be like, we want you to make social media that looks like this. But they did not want me to leave my desk. And I was just like, you know, if you want stuff to look like this, I'm going to need to go out and do things, you know. So I had that job and I remember um, I got I got fired. Um, <laughs> I, I think what I hadn't realized was that technology had advanced to a place where um, they watched what you emailed and shit, you know? Oh, and no. so I was like um, still working on little mini tours sometimes where I was going to probably need to ask off for work and like sending these dates to to my publicist, like, here's what we're looking at, you know, and then one day I walked in, they just fired me. You know, I, my point is like, I have too much going on of what I love and am passionate about to, um, to invest in someone else's vision. Yeah. Which sometimes even makes me sad because sometimes people's visions are really cool. It's not the corporate thing. Like it might be a fellow artist who's like, this is what I'm doing. And I have to be like, Oh man, I just know I can't do that. And yet at the same time, I'm so dependent on other people and appreciative and humbly grateful for the artists that do that with me. But, you know, good, bad, or indifferent, I've got the ideas of the things I want to do and um, they keep me occupied. And it doesn't involve working for the man. No, no rest. Well, that stability, you know, sometimes looks nice doesn't it right you know yeah i've got close friends and, and relatives that have good jobs and health packages and it's hard not to envy their security yeah their stability but i i think you trade security for everything else yeah yeah and it's and if it was just me like i mean you and i both have gone through large periods of our life i would imagine 
where we've been just living in abject squalor. And that like, if it's just me, who cares? Like, right. I don't care. I can live through that. But there's younger versions of me now that share my DNA that <laughs> makes it a lot different. And thank God. Yeah. You know, I think of my son like he, he saved my life. You know, yeah. like I remember when he was born, I had just completed my second tour and album. And like the, like the day he was born, kind of this come to Jesus moment of like, if you do this now, if you continue, you're going to need to get your shit together. Yeah. Like you, it can't be out on the road and drinking and half-assed. Like, you know, and I think it, in that way, he carved me bringing a professional approach to being a musician instead of that, like, kind of 20s jack-off kind of thing that a lot of – you know, I, I think there's a notion that musicians are kind of deadbeats, you yeah. know, you know, they're late to everything, you know, or whatever. And, you know, I, I think the birth of my son was really this, like, you can do this, like just this self accountability. You can do this, but you're going to have to, you're going to have to do better than that. Thank goodness. Well, so I wonder when you, cause it seems like, what I know about you is you do spend a lot of time, you've already mentioned therapy during this conversation, and you've mentioned, you know, morning yoga. I know that you do a lot of practice on yourself, on your mental well-being, on your spiritual well-being. When you come up against internally generated obstacles, negative voices in your head, um, the things that are trying to keep you from being the best version of you or making the best art you can make, um, what have you figured out as a way to get through or beyond those obstacles? Anything and everything. Um, you know, I, I guess it's, you know, everyone gets a unique path. Um, you know, I don't want to like, I try to realize everyone's different, but I have always felt like, you know, life is full of beauty and life is full of so much suffering. And personally, I, you know, I've suffered a lot and I take that in perspective to what it's like to suffer in America as a middle-class person, as opposed to the rest of the world that is in a much different situation than, than we are yet. You know, it's like Neil Young had that one line and, uh, you know, like, uh, basically, you know, my problems, you know, don't mean anything, but they mean something to me or something. You know that line? What is Yeah. Um, you only have your own perspective. Right. Yeah. And they're very real, you know? So my suffering's been so acute in life. Um, I mean, and at times destructive that, and can be so overwhelming and gripping that navigating and integrating them has been dire. Um, so, you know, my path to healing, you know, it's just been like one little piece at a time, you know, um, 
hiking and time on the land was a was a big one for for me early on moving here just realizing I, like what medicine spending time in nature is um what what was your your question was what are some of the things yeah i just wonder about like what you've figured out cuz i know i mean you you know we talked about like you doing hot plunges you working on uh, what's the thing where you hold your breath for minutes at ah, a time yeah i mean it's you it seems like you you do a lot in terms of trying to find um solutions to the inner turmoil right yeah i you know it's it's kind of like whatever path we end up on i i guess you know it's like when this when the student's ready the teacher will appear yeah. You know, and I, I think I've also always tried to paint myself into a corner where I would have no option other than A, right? And so, like, the option is I want to be healthy. Yeah. Um. So it's kind of like the further, you know, and I'm no, for a Sedona, I'm not like a, you know, crystal crunching <laughs> rainbow, you know. Um, but health feels good, especially in the middle age, you know, so... I, I think I've just embraced anything that made me feel better, you know, like stretching my body daily makes me feel better. Working my muscles and being active makes me feel better. Um, meditation, I, you know, I mean, all of the noise in anyone's life, whether you're in the city or I mean, like there's so much and my mind particularly is nutty, you know? So, I mean, to be able to slow down and get present a couple times a day, I'm still a lunatic, you know, <laughs> but like at least those two 20 minutes a day, I, you know, can get there. And, um, you know, I think is, I've always been open to anything that might help me have a better quality of life and more joy and freedom. Yeah. Um, so, you know, some things I've tried and they don't really stick and, and some things, some things do, but I'll try anything once, you know, <laughs> you wake up pretty early generally, right? Presently I'm about a 5.00 AM or see. Yeah. That's pretty good. I don't like it. <laughs> that's strictly because my son goes to school a half hour away. Oh, okay. So get up and do the my practice which is like breath work yoga meditation and working out yeah to, to, because that's how i can start my day high yeah. um to do that before i take him to school i have to get up at five now that said he's got a week and a half left of school and i'm probably gonna get more into like a 6 45 type thing oh sleeping in <laughs> <laughs> uh yeah i i um it's funny. It's funny how life goes, right? I remember always staying up till 4 a.m. and sleeping till noon. I have a friend who's a producer that is on a complete vampire schedule where he wakes up at nine o'clock every night, has breakfast, goes into work, has dinner at 9 a.m. and goes to bed at noon again. Wow. Day after day, opposite schedule. I bet he's pasty. <laughs> That is a good word for him. <laughs> 
Okay, so I'm wondering if you wouldn't mind trying to distill some of this wisdom you've been sharing, imagining a 21-year-old version of yourself, but in today's world, and um, what advice might you share with 21-year-old you? Mm. You know, I was up in Flagstaff the other day on an appointment, and I got routed through the campus where I went to college, and I palpably felt the like fear and insecurity of you know youth late teens early 20s and I had such a like it made me sad but then I, I had this just like really compassionate like, oh man, yeah, I really feel for that guy. You know, um, do you remember that phase? Yeah. Those early twenties. Yeah. It's you and you wish you could just hug that kid. Yeah. Yeah. So I think, you know, the kind of advice would be like, you know, everything's always going to be okay. You know, believe in yourself, be a little easier on yourself. Start an IRA. <laughs> <laughs> um, but you know, I, I think chase your dreams, which I did. But I, I think I think twenty one year old me needed to feel a little safer in the world, you know. Like I think that period of time, just I felt like like a dog in a corner, yeah. internally and externally, and I think that caused a lot of behaviors in life, you know, like, I mean, just a lot of fight or flight stuff, yeah. you know, how I might react in a relationship that got edgy, you know, maybe, you know, lashing out or running from things or, you know, the chemicals, um, just checking out, you know, I, I think just 21 year old me probably did need someone to just hug them and, um, tell them everything would be okay. Mm. That's why your son seems so well adjusted, you know, I think because he's had you doing that. Yeah, I mean, I think so. It's it's a tough time and you just want to love you just want to love these kids up so much. And yeah, I, I think you're doing a great job it, back at you. You know, I've, I've witnessed your parenting and it and it, it seems like I think we are doing um, uh, we're doing a good service for the world as we give them these kids that, that have gotten a lot of love from us. So that's all we can do. Yeah. Man, I'm so excited for your new record. I, I hope I get to see you again before too long. And I really appreciate you sitting down for the wheels off treatment. Thank you so much, Brandon. Thank you. Did you pop on the the uh, test press yet? Yeah, it's great. Dude, I'm so excited for you. Uh, Sam Cohen, you know, he's uh, he's been a wheels off guest before. It's, it's, you know, I think you said you listened to it. But um, so great. So well done. I'm super proud of you. Thank you, my friend. Um, all right. Well, thank you very much. Hope to see you soon. 
All right. Thank you so much for listening to Wheels Off. Please be sure to rate and review the show on iTunes. That helps us appear higher in the search results and lets other folks know that it's a cool podcast to listen to. Also, as the kids say, don't forget to subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, or anywhere else that you listen to shows like this so that you never miss an episode. This has been Wheels Off, and I'm Rhett Miller, encouraging you to create every day. Thanks, y'all. Hey, this is Steve Choi, host of the Musicians Guild podcast, part of the Sound Talent Media Podcast Network. Within the four walls of the Musicians Guild, we'll be discussing the habits, idiosyncrasies, experiences, and general psychology of my friends and peers, all involved with music in various capacities. Listen and subscribe at SoundTalentMedia.com.